So this is how. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And so how did the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, come about? How, how did this all happen? I mean, after all, that's the reason we're here tonight, what we're wondering about, isn't it? How did this all happen? Well, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about, as Matthew tells us, just in case you were interested. But as Matthew tells the Christmas story this way, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. No, for, for Matthew, the, the Christmas story, which is a story of new beginnings, for, for Matthew, when he tells the story, it really starts at a dead end. I won't go through the whole part that comes before all of this because you all probably had some food and it's late in the night and this would just put you to sleep. But <clears throat> Matthew starts his story off with a list of 42 generations. 42 generations of failure and frustration. 42 generations of, of people who tried and some who didn't even try to try to live in God's love, walk in God's love, and give God's love away. But all 42 generations failed. And so the story of Christmas, the story of Christmas starts off with heaven at a dead end. But, but Jesus loves to show up at dead ends. You see, we've, we've been fed some fake news about Christmas. And I don't want to make a big deal about this, but I know who is to blame. It's Hallmark. <laughs> Bunch of dirty, rotten liars. You see, every Hallmark Christmas movie kind of has the same plot to it, and, and it, it can confuse us sometimes because the original Christmas story is, is really nothing like this. There's no flawless plot lead up in a cozy, comfortable, everyday setting. No. No. Instead, all the preparations that were made for that first Christmas were anything but conventional. And they certainly were not proper. That Jesus' coming into this world was, it was scandalous. And so Matthew continues on his story about how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And he says, his mother, Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Mary was, was found to be pregnant. In, in other words, she was showing. And what Matthew doesn't tell us, but his counterpart Luke does, is that after the angel comes to visit Mary and tell her that she is going to have a child and he shall be called Jesus, the son of God, Mary immediately goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house to stay there for three months. And so follow this, follow this. Angel shows up to tell Mary that she's about to have a baby despite the fact that she is a virgin. So immediately Mary leaves to go stay for three months at her cousin Elizabeth's house, the first trimester. 
And then Mary shows back up in Nazareth after having stayed at her cousin's house for three months. And so can you, can you imagine how this conversation went down as Mary's trying to explain to her fiancé, Joe, what happened? <laughs> Babe, don't be upset. What's his name? No, 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 no. There's, there's no man involved in this. The Holy Spirit did this to me. Oh, so now you're trying to bring God into the middle of this. Mm-hmm, yeah. You see, it's, it's scandalous. But Joseph is one of the most unsung heroes of Jesus's birth. I mean, we all know Mary. We know Jesus. Heck, we even know the shepherds better than we know Joe. And Christmas is exciting for everyone else except for Joseph. Because his fiance's, Mary's pregnancy is causing him some stress, and he's in this dilemma. An unexpected baby just was not on his Christmas list. And so look what it says next. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph is in this dilemma because he's a righteous man, which means that in order to keep his honor, he must divorce his suspectingly unfaithful wife. But also, because he is a righteous man, he wants to do so quietly without a public divorce that would forever cause her to be marked with a scarlet letter. Or, or even worse, according to Jewish law, it would cause her to be stoned to death. And so Joseph's at a dead end. He's caught between law and grace, law and grace. And so he has in his mind to divorce her quietly. He could go to a priest at the temple and try explaining this whole situation and essentially nullify the contract that he had between Mary and Mary's family and, and just go on about his business, living his life. But he hasn't done it yet. He, he's got the plan, but he hasn't put it in to action. And so this is what it says, verse 20. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel basically says to Joseph, Look, I know that this is not what you had expected, Joe, but it's going to be okay because God is about to do something wonderful despite the fact that you are in this socially unacceptable situation. Because, Joe, this is how God works. It's not Hallmark. And then to really mess things up, as if this news wasn't troubling enough, the angel goes on and he says this next. It says, she will give birth to a son... And you are to give him the name Jesus. Now look, <clears throat> I know that you all just want to light your candle, sing Silent Night, go back home, take a nap, open up presents, okay? But this is actually really, really important because we have been mispronouncing the name Jesus for many, many years. See, the name Jesus is actually a Latin translation of a Greek name, which is translated from a Hebrew name, Yeshua. 
And so to kind of mess up every Christmas carol that we have ever sung, we have been singing the wrong name for Jesus the entire time. It should be, you know, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, a little Lord Yeshua lay down his sweet head. We've been mispronouncing Jesus' name. And, you know, maybe that's why God hasn't answered your prayers, because God's up in heaven listening in like, look, if you would just pronounce my son's name correctly, you can have whatever you want. (laughs) It's not how God works, by the way. But we're not going to rewrite all the Christmas carols. We're not going to rewrite our entire English Bible. So we'll just stick with the name Jesus for now. But here's why I bring it up. Besides just having something fun to talk about as you're opening up presents on Christmas morning, okay? You see, the name Jesus is the name Yeshua, which could also be translated as Joshua. And Joshua, as Joseph would have understood it, being a good Jewish man who's righteous in the law, Joseph would have known that Joshua is the warrior king from his people's past. That Joshua is the one who helped deliver the Israelites out of slavery and lead them into the promised land. Joshua is the one who drove the enemies out of Israel. Joshua is a strong and powerful political figure. And so the angel of the Lord says, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name, drum roll please, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, because, because. And Joseph thinking, well, you don't have to tell me because, because I already know because. Because look at us. Israel, we are a forgotten nation in the armpit of the Roman Empire. We've been oppressed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and now we're oppressed by the Romans. We've had 42 generations of failure, 42 generations of frustration, and now we need our warrior king to rise up and take back the throne, all from these oppressive Romans, because he will save his people from these oppressors, from these invaders, The angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. Eh. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, angel. I know that you're an angel and everything, but but I got a level with you, okay, here, angel? That's not really a pressing need. I mean, don't get me wrong. We we need saving. We, We need delivering. We've got foreign armies in our towns. We've, we've got armed guards around every corner. Can't remember the last time that we've had a fair trial. For goodness sake, we just need our daily bread, but we don't really need saving from our sin. I mean, we have a very elaborate sin-saving system. It's called the temple. We can go there whenever we want, and we can sacrifice something for whatever something has come our way, and we can be forgiven. We've got the sin-saving business down. But I'll tell you who does need saving from their sins. Rome needs saving from their sins, and we need saving from Rome. We don't need a savior, angel. We need a superhero, And so here's the reason why I love this story. 
And why I love the way that it's told from Matthew, kind of from Joseph's perspective, is because I can kind of see myself in it. You know, Joseph's wrestling with all of these really big questions. What do I do? What does the law require me to do? What, is, what does my family and society say? What, is, what does my heart for Mary say? And how, how is this good news? How does this bring peace to my earth? And this story forces us to ask a really big question. Do we need a savior? Do we need a savior? I mean, that's a question that Christmas forces us to wrestle with. That behind all of the bright lights and all of the holiday traditions, behind this, you know, serene nativity scene is this pressing question, do we still need a savior? Or maybe if you're not really the religious type and you're thinking, what's a savior anyways? Let me, let me ask it to you this way. Do you feel like your life is fulfilled, whole, complete? Or do you know that there's something that seems to have kind of overtaken and invaded a part of your life? I mean, that's the big question of Christmas. Do we need a savior? And you know, no amount of presents or food or, or tinsel can answer that mysterious question that haunts us. That haunts us maybe sometimes when we're just responding to emails sort of mindlessly or, or scrolling through social media or, or perhaps sometimes that question that sneaks up on us as we're sitting around the dinner table. Is this all that there is to life? Is it complete, whole, full? Do we still need a savior? Do we need Christmas? And I can tell you my answer for that. But that's a question that you're going to have to answer for yourself. But the good news that the angels came to announce on that first Christmas day is that God has drawn near to us even when we have drawn away from God. Christmas means that, that God has drawn near to our world and to those within this weary world who have been drawing away from God, that God has drawn near to us regardless of whether or not we think that we need a Savior or not. That at Christmas, God's love came and walked among us in the person of Jesus, born as a child in a manger. 1 John chapter 4 says this. It says, this is how. This is how. This is how God showed, demonstrated, revealed, displayed, personified, flaunted his love among us. Just in case you are interested. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we were drawing closer to God. But in spite of that, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
that was the gift of Christmas. It's not just about a cute baby. It's not just about a silent night. That Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. That Jesus came in that same spirit of Joshua, this warrior king to free you and to free me from the kingdom of, the, the power of, the dominion of, the slavery to the nation of sin and darkness. He came to rescue and deliver and save. He came as a savior. And to save means... To save means to keep from becoming lost. To save means to hold on to. To save means that which should have been thrown away. That which should have been forgotten. That which should have been given up on has not been given up on. It has been saved. God came as a savior because you are worth way too much to give up on. So instead of God drawing away from us, all the while that we have been drawing away from God. God walked right into our world. God walked right into our dead ends. God walked right into our failures and our frustrations. God walked right into our darkness and our sin. Love walked into the world. And at our dead ends, Jesus showed up. That's the gift of Christmas. And so I'm really excited to open up Christmas presents tomorrow morning with my family. I've got two children. They're three and four. That's their ages, not their names. (laughs) And, you know, every Christmas for the last four years has been, well, it's been awkward and, and, and interesting. So... We don't buy a whole lot of presents, but, but the ones that we do buy, we, we make sure that we take care and we wrap them up really nicely, you know, nice paper, maybe put a bow on it, and then we put them under the tree and we get ready for Christmas morning when the kids wake up and we all sit down and mom and dad sit down at the tree with, you know, our coffee cup and our, you know, bloodshot eyes recovering from the night before And we sit there, we pass around presents, and our kids tear them open, their eyes get big, and then they do the most peculiar thing. See, they're more interested in the box than they are the present that's inside. And it's cute and funny to watch them, you know, roll around in the box and wrestle and, and all of that stuff. Although there's, there's a part of me that's thinking, you know, I paid good money for that present. Boy, stop playing with the box and play with the toy. But I hold my tongue and I watch them just play with the box. And it's made me wonder. It's made me wonder if we are more interested in the box of Christmas than the gift itself. I wonder if we're more interested in the box of Christmas than the Christmas gift itself. That if we're more caught up with all the pretty wrapping 
admiring all the things that this holiday season tries to contain within it, if we're, if we're more entertained with, with all the traditions and, and all that good and bright and, and joyful stuff that we haven't, we haven't actually opened up the gift and examined it to discover that the real gift that's in there is that today, Today, a Savior has been born, and he is Jesus, Joshua, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, you know, my hope for you throughout Christmas my hope for you is that you would open up that gift. That you would discover what's really inside. That you'd reach in there, take hold of it, accept it. Because this great gift of Christmas is the gift of God's love. It says that God demonstrated his love for us in this way. That while we were still far from God, that while we were still sinners, God gave up his life for you and for me to deliver us. And so on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he sat in an upper room with his disciples and he shared one final meal. His friends that had walked with him throughout all of these, these years, all of this life that he had lived, born in a manger, and now about to face the cross. And he gave them these final words and this final gift he offered to them. And that night he <coughs> took bread he gave thanks to you, O oh God, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, O oh God, and he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so would you pray with me? And so holy God, Lord, you have come to us today. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And so Lord, whatever the things are that have caused us to draw away from you. Lord, I pray that you would remove those. Whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever past, God, whatever pain, that you would speak a word of forgiveness, that you would speak a word of new life to each and every one of us gathered here tonight. And God, that you would be Emmanuel, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us the body and blood of Jesus, 
God, so that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood to go and be the light of the world. We pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.